Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Sound design is still going on. 
and uh, finesse at it is still going on. So uh, we are still tweaking it, but uh, this is a sneak preview, one time only, tonight only. For, like I said, for about 12 hours online, you got to go to spadecounty.com uh, if you want to see it. But be warned, it's graphic, it's gory, gory, it's got language, it's got violence, it's got nudity, it's got all the stuff that horror fans love and everybody else may or may not. Okay, without any further uh, hesitation, let me bring on my guest, Mr. Peter Marshall, who's enjoyed a career in the motion picture business for over 35 years. He's done everything. And he's award-winning. He's produced lots of documentaries, uh, scores of hours of television shows and feature films, both as a first AD and as a director and as a filmmaker. He also teaches, and he's here today with us. Peter, thank you for joining us. Well, again, very uh, very welcome, Rex. That movie you're in sounds like just a normal night of television now, doesn't it, nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. you're explaining really. it. Yeah, I guess it, it, it is a disgusting horror film, and it was made, you know, with a specific target audience in mind. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, well, best uh, of luck with your screening. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So, um, how about you? What's what's uh, what's new with you before we? Jump well, uh, I think we just I got one more, uh, you know, two more days of classes, and that's it at Vancouver Film School, and then next week, uh, sort of. Just a little bit of uh, you know prep work for the new term, and uh, and then uh, you know Christmas time. So organizing, break time, take a rest. So it's great, just like everybody else. So uh, winding down, and uh, it's uh, going to be a good. So I'm looking forward to it. My I haven't seen my son in about a year and a half, and he's coming oh out from Vancouver or from Montreal. I'm flying him out next week. I'll pick him up next week. So that'd be great. So oh, enjoyed that. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's what Christmas time's all about. Yes, indeed. Very, very cool. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about it from the director's standpoint, you know, uh, observing human behavior and, and emotions. Uh, so uh, how would you like to begin? What? What? Well, uh, I, I just think I mean? made a little note before we, you know, when we were uh, talking there. It's like we're sort of out of the script process now, and uh-huh. sort of stepping now into the world that you know very well about, Rex, which is the actor's world. And, and this is the next big thing for the director to to really get a handle on is, is performance and working with actors and casting and directing and all of that. So uh, that's a, sort of just do some overview on that, which I thought we'd do. Sure. So, because that's, you know, we, we talk about the mantra of story, performance, and everything else. And, and that's the three-step mantra I think that filmmakers need to uh, to get a handle on. And, and the first part is, is story or the script. And we certainly spent some time in going over what the director does to break down the script. It all starts there. You can't do anything after that effectively, of course you can, but effectively without understanding everything about the script, the scenes, the, the, all the objectives, everything. And then as we move into the next stage, which is understanding the characters, what are their objectives and, and all of that. So that's where we we're going to sort of take this next path. So, And you sort of said, well, understanding human behavior. And I, and I went, well, that's really the key. Um, it's like for writers, directors, actors, um, it is about the hum- human condition. It's about um, writing about human emotions. Um, you know, as a director, an actor, it's, actors portray human emotions. Are they believable? Are they not believable? And I think part of the whole concept that if you're a, a, a filmmaker in particular, artist, of course, in general, uh, you need to understand and observe human behavior and human emotions. And, and that is our job. 
And it's very important to do that. It's sort, of, it's sort of like a lifelong job we have. And, you know, and what I mean by human behavior, because you type human behavior into Google and you're going to get thousands and thousands of different things, uh, but human behavior is really very simply, from, an, from a filmmaker's point of view or storyteller's point of view, is why do we do things? Uh, what makes us tick? Uh, and these are the things we need to find out. And, and I think once you know, uh, if it, you know, once you know answers to these questions, um, and again, relating back to your script, you're going to have a better idea of how your characters in your script should interact. And I think you know that's still part of the script stage. Part of I, this doesn't. This doesn't. You know, how many times have you seen a movie or read a script? Go, this doesn't. They, what they're saying doesn't seem to ring true. Or these characters aren't believable. You know, like that's pretty well a quote in any review, right? Well, why is that? Well, maybe because you know the circumstances they're in is too many. Too many uh, is not correct or circumstantial. Uh, but I think it always it goes down to. You know, on the creative team and as the actors as well is is maybe not understanding true behavior and what that means. And of course, to a certain extent, there are. Um, and this is not a psychology lesson. <laughs> That's another interview for somebody else. But it's really, uh, you know, and every every culture will have a different format. So that you know, uh, you know, different kind of things in different cultures, uh, what people will go for. But the basic concept of human behavior is important. What makes us tick? Why do we do things? And, and I think you need to find that out. So I think age has is a, is a good indicator of that the older you are, you sort of had more life. It doesn't mean you're more mature, of course. It should, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But you've gone through a lot of different things in your lives, and you begin to uh, get a sense of if you have children or you're in relationships or somebody dies in your family or a friend, all of this adds to your your information, I guess, about what makes us tick. And the first person you have to look at is yourself. You've got to look in the mirror and say, what would I do in this situation or how would I feel in this situation? So as a writer, as a director, as an actor, and I include all those three groups because those are the three groups on a movie that have to deal with emotions and vulnerability and and, and really push the envelope on all of that. So I guess that's really, uh, in a nutshell, sort of what I believe is the human behavior. Um, uh-huh. We have to understand how. And, and, and I've said to, you know, to students or anybody else, I said, if you're in the film business in any capacity like that, you are now in the observation business. And that's what we're doing. We're in the observation. We observe people. So that's very, very cool. And do you have any suggestions or uh, tips for doing exactly that? You know, how do we start to observe? What what kinds of things might we pay attention to or, or need to begin to understand? <clears throat> well, I think it's just look around. Um, Get on the bus. If you take the bus, get off your headsets or get out of the newspaper and just observe people. And really, it's watching people. Uh, I do a lot of exercises when I'm teaching workshops where I'll, I'll send the students out into, or the people in the workshop, out into the street during, say, lunch or a break. And I'll say, okay, everybody sit in a cafe or walk around and observe people and watch somebody for five minutes. Don't get beat up, uh, <laughs> but just watch somebody and then come and we talk about it. 
And it's very interesting how people's observations, uh, what they observe. And it's like exercising a muscle, watching. So that's one thing is do it on your own. I mean, And then the other thing is when you're, you're reading books or watching TV is ask the question, why? You know, why are they doing that? But a lot of it is really the sense of you, you, you have to tune. It's like you have to train yourself. Um, because a lot of times we just don't um what do I say we you know we kind of block things off and uh, we want to be insular in a world i mean riding on a bus, I take the bus to work um you know every day when I go to the school and and it's you know looking around and watching people and you see the same people on the bus. You know, can you tell stories about them? What happened today? If a couple gets on the bus, are they are they happy today? Were they having an argument? What what's their body language? Um, you know, all of that. You want to observe that. Um, sitting in cafes uh, are is a great place just to watch people and observe people, and it's uh, and it's great fun too, because you you get really a good sense of what the human condition is all about. I don't know how many of my listeners know, you know, that one of my other lives on this planet is also training uh, and teaching. Uh, this very thing that we talk about, I, I teach psychiatrists and doctors and, and, and physicians and military people and cops and everybody else how to be better observers of human wow. behavior and acting and, and things like that and you know, DEA agents and border patrol and stuff. Um, one of the things that's interesting, I love it because, um, you know, when you think of the different things that the questions like who, what, why, when, and where do, um, why in psychiatry, um, or at least in the approach that I, I train doctors and psychiatrists in, is, and stick with me on this because I'm, I'm going to turn it around, it's the least useful question to ask because it's a motivational question. It's usually the one that people make up reasons for. And typically, they lie about either consciously or unconsciously. They don't know the actual reason why they do anything. They just say what they think it is. Mm-hmm. How tells you, you know, how do you do that? Well, you know, like how do you get a glass? Why do you, why do you get a glass of water? Someone says, well, I'm thirsty. Well, that may or may not be the case, but they get a glass of water. How do they get the glass of water? Well, I get up from the chair and I, you know, I... I go into the kitchen and I turn on the tap, but it gives you a, a structure, specifics, uh, a sequence. What do you need to get a glass of water? It tells you, um, you know, I need a glass, I need a tap, I need running water, I need to be able to pick up a glass, lift it, put it under, and bring it to my lips and, and drink. Who is it for? When do you do this? Is it time specific? You know, so the, the questions serve to, you know, break up, divide the world into different kind of observable elements so that we can watch and we can. Um, hone or specify our observations. Now, the interesting thing about why is that some people in my field try and take the question why out. And they take it out because people use that. Somebody says, I'm sad, they say, why? They don't say, well, how do you do sad? You know, what is it that you're doing inside your head or your body that makes you sad? Or what are the elements outside of you that you're paying attention to that, that uh, you know, contribute to you feeling sad? Or when do you feel sad? Do you feel sad? you know, every minute of every day or just particularly now? Um, what do you feel sad about? You know, so there's lots of questions you can ask. But the interesting thing about the why question is that it is a perfect question for an observer to assign a motivation, meaning that you and I can look at other people and go, why do you think they do that? Well, they might do it for these reasons, and those reasons may or may not be completely accurate, but they help us to understand the motivating factors of the people we're looking at. 
and the possible reasons that they do things. And in having those, then we can begin to explore all the other colorful elements that go into their behaviors. So when you say to ask why, I think it is the perfect question that people have to begin to ask and learn how to ask to use it in a way that teaches them, you know, what what they can pay attention to, to make their work that much uh, more available to them. Well, asking why, I use that all the time. That is the number one question, really, right. um, to that uh, directors need to ask, writers, everybody needs to ask why. And uh, what that does, it helps you, and you're going through the script, and you're looking at why are they saying this? Why is this scene yep. here? You don't take anything for granted. And it is, from a director's point of view, when we're talking about actors, it is the number one question that all directors are afraid of. When an actor comes up, why am I doing this? Why am I going over here? Why do you want me to do this? Why would my character... You know, and so that's why the script work comes first. Uh, so that you, you know that you always ask that question, why? And it is just the ultimate question, isn't it? And it's the scariest one, but when you answer it, and you know it, then you know it's not as scary. And then no, you can see what problems are too. You're absolutely right. It's it's for me. It's like the umbrella question, you know, and everything else fits underneath it. And and the the cool part, what I what I think is so cool is whether or not the answer you come up with is true. It's it's useful. <laughs> I hope that okay, makes sense. I like that. Yeah, it may not be true, but yeah. it's useful. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, in other yeah. words, if you say, "Why, why does so and so go, you know, talk to his wife that way?" and you say, "Well, he does because of this," whether that's accurate or not, what you're doing is you're gaining understanding. And if and if you follow that thread of why he does it, and you and you follow the logic and and all the nuances that that you uncover, then it doesn't have to be. A true thing. It just it's it's useful, and you can and you can use it to make it believable in the character, or you know, as a director or as an actor. Well, absolutely, so, and I, yeah, I mean, and it gets into text and subtext, which we'll be talking about very right, very, right. very soon. And and I think that, so I think what we're doing when we're we're talking about human behavior is asking the question why. So maybe that's the goal. So anybody who's listening or whatever, say okay, that's the goal. Okay, let's give let's give everybody a job and say okay. Today you're going to observe people and and going to ask why are they doing stuff and come up with a story and create the story around it and see is it believable is it you know because what happens when you look at people on the street they are not performing uh, they are going about their business or doing whatever they're doing uh, realistically in their own mind and so as we observe them they don't have a camera on them. Uh, they're they're just doing their thing, and so you want to replicate that. You want to say, okay, well, two people are sitting in a cafe and having an argument. What's the body language? How is how are they sitting? How and it's very much like watching, uh, you know, a movie. Turn the volume down and just watch the visuals, and say, okay, do, do, do certain things make sense now with body language and visually? So I think that's really important to to uh, to understand body language and and all of that it's 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 really like you said ask observe 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 and, and ask the question why and i i have a uh, i came up with something when i was teaching workshops and you know or when you're teaching you're, tra- you're trying to break things down because it's all in your head you know and you kind of go about your business and you do it like anybody like anything you do 
And when you have to teach, you have to sort of say, okay, uh, well, what are some examples? And I came up with this airport example, which I like to use of what I call the flip side of human behavior. Uh And it's a really good example. Uh, I know everyone's been to an airport, and there's really two sections of the airport. There's the arrivals, and then there's the departures. And next time you're at the airport, go look at both again, but in a different with different eyes this time. Because in arrivals, for example, you will see uh, words or you'll see the motions, for example, happy, togetherness, um, completion, tears. You'll see tears, right? You'll see tears of joy. And then go now to the departures and you'll see the flip side of all that. You'll see tears, but they're sad. You'll see instead of happy, you'll see unhappy. You'll see instead of togetherness, you'll see lonely, or you'll see a ba- like okay. it's the flip side of everything, and right in front of you. So if you want to see the flip side of everything, airports, arrival, departures are perfect places. And really beautiful. Cool. well, I did that because I did so much traveling, you know, uh-huh. for years, and I just kept, you know, you're in the arrivals and you go up and you depart or whatever it is, and I kept you, you sort of look because you have to open your eyes and see these things. And it's the perfect place to observe, literally, the flip side, what I call the flip side of human behavior, just from upstairs to downstairs. Oh, there are people crying. Yes, but they're happy. Those are happy tears or they're sad tears. Or the different hugs when people give when they're arriving, when they're leaving. Like, that's amazing stuff. And it's international, right? And as you travel around the world or different cities, it doesn't matter where to just watch that. And I think, I guess the key aspect I'm trying to get through in this, in our little talk today, is really open your eyes and and, and observe things, right? It's really, that's, it, I, I love that. That's really fascinating. I, um, I, one of the things that I notice in airports is, is, and, is this, and that there are people who go through the airports and, and some look like they're in a hurry and some look like they're leisurely, you know, and some, you know, obviously are rushing, but some people go through the airport like looking at everything. They see other people, they're looking around, they're noticing things, they're looking up, and other people go through the airport where they just don't seem to see anything. They just, you know, are focused on mm-hmm. something and they don't pay any attention. And other people seem to go to the airport and they have this like running conversation with themselves as they're walking along. If you've ever noticed, you know, they're like talking to themselves or thinking about stuff. They're not really looking at much, but they're just in this inner kind of conversation. And or, or some are on the phone, you know, and they're talking while they're doing something. And it's kind of like some people pay attention to what they see and other people are paying attention to what they hear. And then there's the other people who, who either they're like lumbering along like the whole world is on their shoulders and it's you know it's tough and it's hard and it's painful or there's those people who are kind of skipping along and who are happy and they're or those people who are driven you know their body they're just like kind of racing and i don't mean they're running but i mean that that you by they're almost marching through the airport that that there are different kinds of you know you and and what you said if you go why is the person like this or you watch them uh, or go to the which, uh, what I really love is the whole thing about going to the arrivals and the departures because you're there anyway, you know. You're, right. You're yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's something you can observe every time you travel. You just open your eyes and you're sitting there where you're leaving, and where you're coming. And I mean, you know, it's a, a very cool exercise. But but it's true. You just have to open your eyes and look around and see that the different kinds of uh, awarenesses that people have um, as well. Well, because where their focus is. Well, exactly. And and if you're a writer or a director, even an actor, it's like, okay, what do you know? Okay, like Rex, what do you actually really know in life? You know what Rex knows. 
well, there's billion, there's six billion or seven billion people on the earth. There's all these other kinds of emotions. There's all these other rationalities. So when I try to write or look at something or direct or act, whatever it is, we only know a very small fraction of what's going on. So we need to constantly uh, observe other people. And and I think when a word I've never actually used before, I'm using right now, is in a neutral. If that's even possible, I think if, if, you know, in a neutral kind of way. Because what happens is very difficult because it's all very subjective, right? Everything is, objectivity is so difficult. It's almost impossible. Uh, it's a word that should almost be banned from the dictionary because how can you be objective because you have always your own baggage or, or whatever it is that you, you're tainted by always something. And that could be positive, too. Um, but so, so try to go to that neutral position and go, okay, there's two people and they're leaving, what, what, what happens? What are they going through? What, what's going on? Are two people arriving? Or whatever the situation is. But I think part of the, one of the major things, even as you do that, is to look at yourself in the mirror and go, who am I? And how many personalities do I have? Because what you're talking about, people go to the airport, I've done every single one of those. You know, I have, I've ignored, I've looked, I haven't looked. Right. Uh, you know, I've been on the phone, I've been talking to... You know, you do all sorts of things because our personalities are... Varied, and we're very much like chameleons, you know, which is the you know is a lizard that that changes the color. So if they put them down in a green, they'll go to green. If you put them in a red environment, they'll go to red. And we do that as well. We change our our behavior pattern. We change things, survival instinct, right, to fit the environment. And so, how many personalities uh, do we have? And you know, your your one thing to yourself because. That's what I say. If you go home and shut the door and look at yourself in the mirror and nobody else is around, then then you can actually dig deep into yourself and go, well, who's the real me? Because I'm not trying to impress anybody anymore. And where is that real me? But when you go out to the world, you're one, maybe one person to your children, one person to your wife, your husband. Uh, you're certainly uh, another person to your coworkers. If you're going for an interview, you're one. Like all of a sudden, how many people are we? No wonder we're all schizophrenic. You know? And it's like, and you, so when you look at that, it's, uh, you know, so when you're writing or directing or you're acting and you say, well, there's someone who's afraid. Well, there are so many different versions of afraid. There's your versions and there's other people. I remember one incident yes. in, the, in, the, in the doing a workshop a couple of years ago, and this was a very, very telling experience. And I was just observing, we were doing a scene study of some script, I don't know, and, and, and there was no, and we had a camera on. And the director, the student director, had a, a student. They were all acting, and it wasn't an act. They were just acting in their own uh, scenes, just because it was like scene study and blocking. And the director went up to the actor or the other yeah, student actor. He said, "Well, this is where you get really angry. And what I want you to do is sort of, you know, when you're angry, sort of pound the table, which is a bit of result directing. But, but the point was so that he rolled. We rolled the camera, and I'm observing. And and the, and the so we rolled it, and the student." He didn't do that. What the director did, he didn't hit the table. So they cut, and they had they have two takes. He walked up and he talked to the other actors a little bit of you know a little bit of adjustment. He said, "Well, can you maybe hit it harder, or just like I need to? I want that anger to come out. I want to see that." So he rolled it again, and the student he didn't do that. And so we cut, and which is fine. And, and so, but the interesting part was the director walked up to the actor, and he said. Um, well, why didn't you do that? And I said, and I reiterated the, or re- repeated the question. I said, well, why, why didn't you do what he asked? And he said, I was never brought up that way to express my anger that way, so I couldn't do it. 
Isn't that amazing? Wow, wow. Because and I just I looked at the class and I go, class is over. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> it was like it didn't matter. I mean, if you're an actor, you're going to do. But he said he was he never grew up expressing his anger physically like that. It wasn't in him to do that. And I thought that was amazing. And I've never forgotten that. And I think that because that is so true when we look at, uh, you know, expressing love or hate or anger or whatever all these emotions are, then you you really have to say, well, there's all these versions of it. So right, right. when you go back into the script and you go back into the script and you go, well, what's this character's development? So tracking the character, what's their backstory? Where do they come from? Even as a director, you have to figure that out. I mean, writers have backstory. Directors, you know, and the actors certainly have your backstory. And if it's not written there, you create your own backstory. So it's those emotions that are so important. And what happens a lot of times in films is conflicting emotions will come in where then maybe it doesn't. it's not believable. Because you will look at it and you go, well... I don't believe this. And maybe you're saying it because you were in a particular situation like that and you didn't react that way. Where I would see that and go, oh, it's believable to me because I was in the same kind of situation and that's how I reacted. So that's the dilemma we're in. And it's also a beautiful thing because it gives open to interpretation. And that's what I like about the arts, you know, in, in acting and especially in the film business. But the key element comes down to is that action, whatever's happening, and by action it could be dialogue or, or physical action uh, or anything, is it believable within the context, number one, of the story you're telling, and number two, of the characters and their relationship? And that's ultimately what you're after. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy. You know, it's just, it's, it, it's a open, it's wide open, and it's, this is why, there can essentially be one director on a movie. Uh, there can essentially be only one story you're telling. Um, this is why everyone, producers, writers, directors, actors, have to be on the same page um, because it's so easy to get off track. It's just so easy to get off track on, on performance and, well, I thought you were going to do this and why are we doing this and et cetera. And the, and the reason is this human behavior is so vast. There is no one specific reason to do anything. I I always like talking about human behavior. I've always thought that the drama, we talk about drama's conflict. I always thought that you go to a big sports event and like the championship game of any sport in the world. And to me, at the end of the game, there's one winner and there's one loser. And I always thought it would be more interesting to go into the loser's locker room. Hmm. And not because what we see is the champions and holding the cup and everybody's, but where's that other, where, where do those other people go? Like, we don't see them anymore. What's going on in their lives? Because we, we're all about winners and lo- winners. It's all about winners in our lives. Well, yeah, but somebody, in order for them to win, someone had to lose. That's sports. That's the gladiators, right? Wouldn't it be interesting to go to their locker room and just observe them? The quiet, the tears, the, the there's different kind of hugging going on, you know, whatever right. it is, the silence. And anybody who's been in any sport will understand that we've all had that. We've all won and we've all lost. That, to me, is the drama. That is so cool. So, anyways, maybe going off on a tangent, but you allow us to do that in your show, right? (laughs) 
absolutely. No, that, that is, I mean, again, it, that is all all very awesome. And and uh, both the example you gave of the guy who didn't have permission to express his anger in that yes. sense, and up to up to this point of of being in the opposite in, in the opposing team, the losing team's locker room, are all. It, it, they're so ripe for for just lengthy discussion. So yeah, absolutely, I, I appreciate it very much. I am going to have to take a short break right now, okay. and then we'll come right back. You bet. A couple of things. One is Peter's website is actioncutprint.com. That's actioncutprint.com. You're going to want to go there. You're going to want to check out all the offerings that Peter has there. He's got a fabulous easy in the director's chair. If you don't already get it, you need to. Uh, he's got some great products there, director's programs, a first AD program, scheduling a breakdown of, of a script. You know, uh, Go and do yourself a favor and check out Action cutprint.com. You've got another website or something as well, right, Peter? I, something I, Yeah, Film Directing Tips, my blog. Film Directing Tips yeah. is his blog, so you want to make sure that you check into that. And um, upcoming guests, uh, next week, director Robert Smithline uh, is going to be talking with us on the 13th. Curtis Smith is the first AD. He's going to come back and talk with us again about uh, his uh, duties on the set. Peter Marshall will be back on the 20th, and we'll continue this discussion, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. And then director and um, writer-producer Anthony Mendel, he's also an acting coach. He's got a new book coming out uh uh, and we're going to be talking to him on the 21st. I, I was lucky enough to go with uh, casting director Paul Weber to uh, a, a universal um, casting showcase directed by Anthony when I was last in Los Angeles, and uh, and look at the talent and look at the at the the show that he uh, directed, so that uh, casting directors and agents and managers and people could come and watch. And uh, it was a fabulous time, and and the, the performers were great, and the direction was wonderful. So, looking forward to having him on talk about acting and and coaching actors. All right. Um, oh, a reminder tonight, uh, one time only, the Spade County Massacre preview online. It's a sneak. You got to go to spadecounty.com. It'll be available for about 12 hours. It's absolutely free, but it's graphic. It's gross, and you got to be 17. Or more to watch it, and I'm disgusting, and I suck in it. So, but uh, I did produce it, and I do also uh, act in it. And if that doesn't make you want to watch it, I don't know what will. So, uh, so uh, there we have it. So we're back, and um, I almost spilled my water when you said that, Rex, all over my computer. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) don't spill it on the computer for good. No, no. Listen, I have uh, someone asked a question on my Facebook page, which is uh, sure. which actually is, leads into what we're talking about. Can I just take a minute yes, to do that? And uh, it's from Isaac Carter, and, and and it's really an AD question, but it's actually not. It 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 reflects what we're talking about with human behavior. And I'm just going to the question is, um, it's hard to deal with successful personalities. Um, I've worked, you said, well, you, he's talking to me, have worked with many notable actors and crew. How do you juggle professionalism with requirements? I find that being too humble gets you walked over, yet the force that is needed to, to be an AD automatically makes you the bad guy. How do you find the middle ground? Well, Isaac, that's wow. a great question. Great. And I really, if, you, if, you, if you're listening, which I think you are, it, if you go back to human behavior, well, that's this process. And uh, I won't spend a lot of time on it, because we're not that because because of on the show here, Rex. But I think really it boils down to that um, it really is a, the observing of human behavior again. But it comes down to that it's about respect of the position, 
And when you're in any new area, if you're a new director, a new DP, a new actor walking on set, it's like there's an insecurity issue. And, and in my experience, really very simply, is that 90 to 95% of anybody who act up, um, who, who rant and rave and all of this stuff, it's because they are insecure in some way. The other 5% are mentally unstable. There's nothing to do about it. But if you look at 90 95% of people that they're, they're, uh, they're insecure or they're nervous, then that's the approach. It's it's a difficult question in the sense that it's it have to be an, it's an individual situation, Isaac, but that if they respect the position of say the first AD, then you want them to respect the position. They not people aren't necessarily. I mean, we all deserve respect as human beings, but a lot of times you're going to work with crew and people that you don't want to send Christmas cards to and you don't ever want to hear from them again. But please respect the position, and I think that. In my career as a director or as a first AD, uh, you, you, that position is when you walk on the set for the first time as well. You're the guy that gets everybody working, and you're the guy that has to say, okay, you know, do this and do that, and you carry a big stick, and sometimes a lot of resentment about that. And how you do that is a very personal thing as well. So I think the key thing is stick, stand your ground as you're in your position. Listen to what everyone has to say. Because uh, sometimes other people will actually give you good information, but also understand the position or the role you play, and don't be uh, a jerk yourself. You know, it's like it's all about that, and you find your own way. I've always found that. Uh, I've always said to myself, I don't take myself seriously. I take the job very seriously, but I never took myself seriously uh, in the fact that I, you know, if you're going to laugh at me, fine, or laugh with me, or laugh about me, I don't care. Let's have a good time. Let's all go to work. And if you know your job and people begin to and respect that and, and you have to earn that current sort of respect as you go, then you'll find that uh, combined with your personality, which is only you have, uh, that you should it should work out. So anyways, I hope I answered the question, Isaac, for you. So moving on. Oh, I, think that's, I think that's great. That's fantastic. Um, and if I put in my two cents just to, to piggyback, I think that people can understand, appreciate, and respect um, – a position of power, what they don't like is the abuse of power. Yes, exactly. You know? yep. So even if they're being a jerk, if if you or I abuse our power in in dealing with them, then it just creates more problems. Well, I think in, if you look at it, it to to take that further, it's use power through, not power over. Um, if you're a director, a producer, a DP, uh, uh, you know, whatever, an AD, you have a lot of power on a movie set in, in your own area, right? So I always say you walk on the set and you always have this big stick. It's just because it says the AD or the DP or whatever. But if you have people working through and you and and you you're conscious with them and you and you're not the jerk about it and, and you work with them, right? Instead of beating them over the head, you're going to find a lot a lot of more things are going to happen better. That was pretty bad English, but yeah, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, I, I, and, and, and you would—I mean, you would—you would say this. This is true not only for the first AD, but for the director as well. Oh well, yeah. I'm, I'm saying this. Was, he was more asking for the AD, but I'm saying it's every right. position. The director of photography. I mean, I've worked with director of photographies, and I'm talking some big movies. And a couple of these people were just a one grade. Like you didn't really want to know. You weren't going to send a Christmas card to this person, and they and they love to chew up first ads and spit them out. And and you have to stick your ground. It's wolves. Sorry, I hope this is allowed, but it's like wolves pissing in their territory. 
And that's what happens on a movie set, you know. And it's like all these areas, and everybody's got to piss their little, this is my area, and I'm the wolf here. And and if you look at every department, you know, wardrobe or makeup, it's all, it, you know, SH, you know, runs downhill, right? So it's it's all very common. It's a very ego-driven, dynamic business. I love I love it, but there's also those times where you just you can't wait to get off the set, or people oh, just right. there there is all of that. It, it's it's human behavior all rolled into this one big huge mass of of stuff. And what are you doing? What are you creating? What are you making? I mean, you can't even put your hand on it anymore. <laughs> I mean, what are your, you? Know, you know, I was gonna say it's 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 I forget, I can't think of the name of the the experiment, the college experiment, the prisoners and yes, the guards. Yes, yes, I know exactly you know, what you mean. Yes, it's yes. exact. It's almost like that's what a movie making is like. like well, exactly. You know. Yeah, and I, and I think as you go through, and everybody's experience is a bit different because every situation is different. You can take right. a same. I mean, TV series is a good example of this. You have the crew that works all the time, and then really what happens is that you bring a new director in uh, every other show, and maybe some new cast people. Well, sometimes the crew is just working, and I've I've worked on TV series a lot, and, and all of a sudden it's just like everything is just really humming along, and then one person comes in and everything switches. And it could be switched for the good or switched for the bad. But it just takes one person, like a director or producer or even an actor walking in or the a, a new AD coming in trying to piss their territory, and, boy, things change dramatically. And so it just takes one person. Um, I remember... Uh, uh, AD in a TV series a long time ago, and uh, the the DP is the first time I worked with this DP, and he would not uh, tell me how much time was left. He would blow a whistle. Now this is true, and he would, and I, I said, excuse me, this is not even film production 101. He said, no, he would. He had this whole ego thing, and he would sit and he tweet on his whistle and he'd be ready, which means that I'd be caught trying to bring actors in and all this kind of stuff. Right. Well, he only lasted two or three shows and he got fired, rightly so, but. It's like, where does that come from? Where's the teamwork? Where's the collaboration? I mean, I think we all have to look at that and, and how, how important all of that is. So um, it's, it's a very collaborative you know, business, and I think we have to, have to look at that for, for everything. But go ahead. Well, I was just going to say your comment about cinematographers. I, I hear this from directors constantly. I mean, you know that boy, there are those cinematographers who they just don't want to ever work with again. That whenever they wanted to, you know, do a shot, the cinematographer say, "Oh, you think so, right?" You know, I mean, I've yeah. been doing this for forty years. Who are oh, you to yeah. tell me how to set a shot? You know, and this and it never fails to <coughs> surprise me in some ways, and and at the same time, it never fails to. Have me go. Yep, <laughs> yes. I, I know what you're talking about. But is, is but there are some people, stars and other. I, one director recently told me he said, you know, if you ever work with this particular star, and this is a big, 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 big star, he said I've seen him, you know, end the scene, walk over, grab the camera, you know, the tripod and everything, and slam it down somewhere else and go. And this is where your next shot comes from. Right. You know, and just disrupt everything the director is doing and, and mm -hmm. everything. And, and, and you know, and I, so I I look at this stuff and I go, well, you know, the bigger you are, the less you need to do that. And and I have all sorts of, you know, uh, assignments that I could make. But, but coming back to our original topic about understanding human behavior and observing it and all that kind of stuff, um, if you're lucky enough to be on a film set, <laughs> it's an incredible place to observe. Oh, yeah. 
human, human behavior under pressure. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I think you coined it right there, under pressure. Uh, the movie business is full of big personality. This is a big personality business. And as you make your films and get up through the ranks and from your small films and your indie films and then TV series or movies and you're working with larger, I mean, larger, I mean, uh, you know, you know, ADs, DPs, directors, uh, producers, uh, you know, as you work up through the ranks, and I certainly know that in my ED career where the movies I worked on and all the people and big actors and directors and studios you're working with, you, you are involved in the personality in that person. What is your personality business? Because it's like you're a big personality. You've got to be in a position. And so you've got, and I don't mean you're yelling and screaming. That's because I don't do that. And you could be five foot nothing and still have a, a major drive personality. But it's, again, think of the position. I always like to use the military analogy. It's it's respect the rank. Again, going back to this respect concept where we all need respect, I understand that. But it's like there are people you don't are just not going to get along with. That's just That's human behavior, right? You have 30 people in a room. It's just statistically impossible that everyone is going to send Christmas cards to each other. I just use it as an analogy, right? It's just too diverse, and especially when you're dealing with artistic people in the arts and where we are is there's there's just so much going on there's so much and and you have to understand that you need to be sort of this big personality and it's hard if you're kind of a little bit of a wallflower to move up into stuff and depending on your position i mean it's all possible of course but to really keep that in mind that so it is a a big personality business and that you've got you know go ahead no go no no fine I was just gonna say it, it just it seems like you know a race to a finish line, and, and you know if you're if you're a wallflower, you get pushed out of the way, and you you walk along the sidelines, and you may finish last or somewhere after yeah. the other people who trampled you to get to the front. I mean, there does there is a lot of that in our in this industry, and it's just part of it. And, and not that it doesn't exist anywhere else, but uh, well, of course it exists. I mean, you look at offices, and you hear people being abused in offices and bosses and. Verbally and all, it's it's everywhere. I think the one thing the movie business does, though, it sort of exacerbates. It, it sort of ex, it takes it out into a different level, because yeah. when you go to buy your groceries at Safeway, there's the magazine of all the the stuff that's going on with the people that you end up working with. Okay. And it's like, but so that doesn't happen for accountants or lawyers. You know what I'm saying? They don't have a magazine at Safeway that's all about accountants. And what happens in their office, and what happened to them, and the paparazzi? No, the paparazzi don't get after those. Um, you know, it's like they—we're in an entertainment field. We're in an entertainment business, and when you're in that business, you then set up yourself uh, in a group of people that are basically now set up with the general public. Of what are they doing today? Now, fortunately. You know, for all the directors, I mean, ADs and the crew, like we really don't get, but we, you know, we're not really on the front page of a, a magazine unless we've done something really bad. But it's like we are part of that, and you have to understand the. I, I remember I have, a, I have a great story when I when I worked on a um, a movie called Edison Force, and it had awesome cast with Kevin Spacey, Morgan Freeman, and LL Cool J, and Justin Timberlake, and and I remember doing a scene. We were doing a scene with. Uh, Morgan and Justin, and Justin had just come off of the um, the wardrobe malfunction at the Super Bowl. Oh, and, okay, uh, yeah. right. But and he and of course Justin and Big, and this was three, what four or five years ago, whatever it was. 
And I remember there was a lot of stuff going on in Justin's life, and we had paparazzi following us all over the place from LA. We're shooting in Vancouver, but we had paparazzi from LA uh, coming up and shooting and all this stuff. And all about Justin, it was just everything was going on. And I remember Morgan sitting back, and he, he, I guess there was a magazine lying around, one of those magazines, and had Justin in it. And Morgan just took it and threw it away and said, don't look at that crap. You know, and I just thought that was so cool. You know, right. it's like it's just here's a guy who's been around for a very long time, and and you know, Justin was one of his first or second acting gigs we did in the show, but it was like he just, I just I saw Murray just take it and threw it away and said, don't look at that crap, and that's exactly what it is, and and how that affects actors and how that affects everything, and so when someone steps on a set and they're going through this, you're you're and you're on a crew, that energy is going to come through. It's human behavior, right? You know? you know, it's it's so amazing because for those people who have been, I, I consider it fortunate. I mean, all of my experiences, good or bad, are incredible. I mean, a lot of them sucked, but they're still yeah. incredible. <clears throat> um, for those who have been fortunate enough to, to be in an area of industry, whether it's Vancouver or Los Angeles or New York, you know, where there's a hotbed, where there's things going on, where the stars live and breathe and work and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, it, it's just an amazingly different world. I recently was in a in a very large agency's office for many hours talking, and we, we managed to discuss one particular celebrity big-name actor and um, who had the reputation of being nice. I mean, not, not un-nice, not anything like that, but, but, you know, we were talking about the approach the agent took with them and, and, you know, they treated them with kid gloves and they could put a script in front of them, but they couldn't make them read it. They couldn't, you know, and all this. And I was like, you know, it's, it's so amazing to hear that because the, the actor who's now in this big position, you know, started out like you or I, you know, that the old, we all started out barefoot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, they're now elevated to royalty, where people treat them so much differently than yes. you know, anybody. Maybe Donald Trump is treated like that, you know, and, and, and yes. people who got lots of money. But I mean, most everyday people don't do that, you know, for other people. Um, I happen to be, I, and I don't say this for any particular reason other than I've, I've been in lots of millionaires' homes, but I got to go to a billionaire's home one time, and I and I was there for five or six hours, and I just my my impression was I wouldn't want this. For anything in the world, mm-hmm. I just I, I just completely have reacted to the thing. It, it seems so foreign, so artificial, and so and and I was just like, wow, this is a spooky way to live. Um, I'll take the money, but I don't want. To. It was, and, and the reason I say that is because people do they they get they get elevated to a point of treatment that it's hard for us to even comprehend, and then we get to interact with them, and we don't know what's motivating them or driving them, what their insecurities are, or what their fears are or you know i mean some of these big guys might be afraid to death it's all going to end tomorrow which it yeah. normally does so yeah. you know how they how they hang on to it i think it, tying it back it goes back to the discussion about understanding and, and why people do what they do mm-hmm. and even if you assign a, a motive to them it may not be true it may help you understand uh and or cut some slack sometimes when need be uh, i sometimes can be more sympathetic even if i assign a a reason that I don't know is the fact to it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they're doing it because you know they're they're really you know trying to look out for their family. Well, maybe yes, maybe no, but but it makes me approach them somewhat differently. Well, um, and it's yeah, and you're again. I mean, we are talking all about human behavior, so right. you know, this is a good topic, and, and especially when we're talking about the movies or the people that we work with. And I certainly know 
from my role as the, and this is from the, as an AD because you're kind of that person in the middle of, of everything because it's AD set and all that and all the personalities you have to deal with, uh, in a sense, because you have to deal with every everybody in, in that way. But again, it really boils down to that. Well, this is the role that I have, um, you know, and and then there is a a rank issue here of where you stand in the ranking of the film set or wherever it is or the office, whatever it is. But also it's about, you know, you listening to everyone, but also picking your battles. But it's also about this is the, it's a respect of the position. And I think and, and also not, you know, kowtowing. And it's like working, you know, you come up or you have issues and there's a respect. I remember uh, doing a movie. I will not mention the movie's name or the, the actor involved. But as a first AD, and it was first day of shooting, and the actor who was a second or th- he was like tenth on the list in the call sheet or something like that, and I never heard of him, but he was, but he was this big guy, and I guess he had an attitude which I didn't know about, and and so we were blocking. We, were, we had everybody in. All the stars came in for a blocking, and I'm the first AD, and I said, okay, we'll bring everybody in for a blocking because you know that's a call time, and you always bring actors in ahead of time into makeup, right? That's normal. Well, I got a, uh, a radio call from the third AD. He said, well, this actor, he wasn't going to come in. I go, well, why not? Well, he said, well, he either goes into makeup and he stays till he's done, or he comes in and calls to the block and goes in, uh, which, of course, got my back up. And I said, well, um, tell him everybody's on the set right now, but also understand that he doesn't want me to come back there. Well, within two minutes, he was on the set, right? Okay, well, that, I thought that sorted it out, right? Well, the next day, the same thing happened. So I'm looking now, so now I have a, so now what I'm doing, there's a game going on. And I know this game. I know it very well. So I said, okay, because going and yelling and screaming and ranting and raving is really nonproductive because everybody digs their heels in, right? So I said, okay. I said, he said, bring everybody in and he wouldn't come in again. And I said, okay, no problem. He said, tell him that I am now shutting the set down and we're phoning his agent. In a minute, he came in the door, and I never had a problem after that. So, yeah, I can tell. We could tell stories for three hours. I mean, it's 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 just about where everybody sits. What what's going on? Was it insecure? What was going on? Like, what's the deal? I mean, and that you have to play all these kind of games. And this is where the psychology comes in. I mean, you know, my psychology was learned on the street. You know, and, and human behavior. I never took any formal, you know, class. Maybe I should be taking yours. Uh, because, I, you know, and so that's coming back to what we're talking about, human behavior. Why is a person doing that? Well, and you said it right off the top. You may not know exactly what the why is, but you have to come up with something. So my computer and my brain says, without in the split second, this is probably why they're doing it. So I'm going to play the role. I'm going to do this role. And I've always found... Because there's an ego thing, too. And we talked a little while ago about ego and self-importance, right? And you need ego to survive self-importance. I have this role, and I'm, I'm going to yell and scream. You have to listen to me because I'm important, right, which is all BS. So, But people get involved in all of this. So it's just important to understand, you know, and you have to roll with it because it's all new. So you know, <laughs> it just keeps going on and on and on. But, you know, it's really understanding your role in the world that you're doing. I have a good friend that she was on last, Jackie Gould, who I'll give a shout out to again, but she te- she's an AD, she's been AD in Vancouver for a very long time, and she and I teach some AD courses at the film school. And and uh, 
she's uh i don't know if she's probably going to kill me but she's like five foot something uh and she worked with uh she did the show with uh, uh james cameron and who's directing <laughs> and, uh, and she had to go up and tell him they couldn't do a shot he said okay you know because you know he understood the role of the first AD, that she was only doing the job for production. Right. And that he said, okay, cool. yeah, all right, yeah. You know, and here's this, you know, James, who has his own reputation, big movie director and, and everything. But it's like, I thought that was a perfect story. You know, awesome. It's about respect of the position and why you're doing it. And I think that's important. Uh, it's very, very cool. I want to say that, you know, we've been, you know, when, when we talk about the why and stuff, because because of my other hat, my other life, um, the the one area that most of us humans really get in trouble between each other in terms of communication, husbands, wives, lovers, boyfriend, girlfriends, brothers, sisters, family, whatever it is, is making attributions to the why. You're doing it because of this. You think that. You do, you know, you you give, people will list off the reasons, oh, you know, it's that time of month or, you know, you're just a mean person and they, and yeah. they, they assign all this stuff. I call it mind reading. They mind read the intent of other people, and they use it against them, and it creates not a bridge, but usually a battle. And uh, but what I'm trying, the point that I think you and I are trying to make, is that if you if you're utilitarian about this as a writer and a director as an actor, you can use these attributions to develop incredible stories and, and characters and, and scenes and, and performances because you are assigning an attribution, while accurate or not, one that you can commit to, that you can justify, that you can further, and that you can make fascinating. Um, but you, tr- you you make these attributions in real life, a lot of times, 99% of the time, you're going to be wrong, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and create conflict rather than creating a bridge. Now, if you ask somebody, if you say, you know, I'm really interested, or, you know, are you doing this because of this? And if they say no, maybe yes, maybe no. You know, I mean, who knows? But you got to, you got to, you got to place value on what they say. You can't, you can't say, well, I disagree. I think you're doing it because, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. uh, it, it, there's, there's the, the possibility of creating, you know, huge disagreements over things by by doing what we suggest, or there's the possibility of creating an incredible talent base and information base from which you can draw from by using this in a, in a, in a, in a by, by making it a, a utilitarian, a, a useful tool, as opposed to something that we live gospel from. Well, and I think just to, I know we're running out of time here now, but yes. it's like, just to add one last thing about <clears throat> your own life, is that I've done a lot of things to to fuel my passion, which is filmmaking, you know, and it's like part-time jobs. And, and when you're dealing with, like, you know, film students, they, all of a sudden they graduate, and they all of a sudden they graduate on a Friday, and Monday they get up after their hangover and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And it's like, what do I do for a job? How do I make money? And, you know, is it working at McDonald's? Is it driving a cab? Or what is it? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Because if you are an artist or a – let me just go back. If you're a storyteller, then – one thing that got me through a lot of things, because I've done a lot of things like laid saw and planted grass and and driven for perlator, and I even worked in a crematorium. That, that's a whole other story, though. But well, talking about human behavior, um, but it's like you you become that little fly in the wall. So a lot I know a lot of filmmakers that are listening to this show or I deal with are working and they're trying to get their films or they're trying to write or they're trying to do this. But they have this other job, which it's J-O-B is, you know, we all know means just over broke. And we want to move into <laughs> into into this life that, that everybody else is having. Why can't I have it? Well, 
you know that's all, that's a whole other conversation. But the thing is, take whatever you're doing now, and if we talk about human behavior, put that in your computer bank. You know, if you're working in a cab or you're driving a cab, what kind of people? What, what's going on? If you're working in a in a coffee shop, as a you know, observe people. Be that little fly in the wall, and that's all going to come in handy when you're writing or directing or acting. Believe me, it's true. And that's something that, or if I've, you go through some very traumatic event in your life, whatever that traumatic event is, and you're going through pain and, and anger or tears or whatever that is, separate, whatever's happening, my, I guess my last words to you right now are to, to everybody is take that in and, and absorb it, work with it, feel it, and let it go, but understand what that feeling is because if you're a writer, a director, an actor, or a storyteller, you want to take that feeling that you have just gone through, that terrible, heart-wrenching feeling, and put it on paper. Or if you're an actor, to 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 make other to have people believe that. Or as a director, to to take that script and that emotion and help the actor get to that spot. So awesome. it comes comes with you. It comes starts with you. Very, very cool, Peter. I, I know that uh, you've got something you've got to get to. I just want to say that the uh, fabulous discussion, I look forward to continuing it the next time you're back, and that your website is actioncutprint.com. You've got a, a blog site that uh, uh, people can go to, uh, yep. and, and an e-zine, the director's chair. And all of this is available at Action Cut Print. They can find everything there? Yes, they can. Awesome. Thank you so much, and we'll be back for, I think, installment 14. We'll continue with observing human behavior and, and uh, for writers and directors and actors and, and, and move forward from there uh, regarding uh, text and subtext and different things. And, uh, cool. And right. In the meantime, fabulous, sir. Thank you, Have Rex. a great rest of the day. Thank you, you so too. much. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye for now. And that was Mr. Peter Marshall, and I'm so glad that he's here, and I always love talking with Peter uh, on the air and off the air. Just a, a fabulous wealth of, of knowledge and information and practical experience, my goodness. Uh, what, a, what an awesome uh, amount of work he's done. Uh, again, please, please uh, leave comments. Uh, if you're listening archived or live, once the player shuts down, there's a comment window immediately under it at the Blog Talk Radio site. Just go there and leave a comment. If you're listening to this as a podcast, rate and review the show. A reminder tonight, the Spade County Massacre uh, online preview. It is a sneak preview of the feature film. It is the entire movie. You're going to see the whole gory film for free. It's available at spadecounty.com. That's the website, spade, S-P-A-D-E, county, C-O-U-N-T-Y.com. Also, there's a Facebook Friends page for the Spade County Massacre. Please go and friend us there as well. You can follow me. Oh, by the way, you can follow uh, Peter at BC Filmmaker on Twitter, BC, like British Columbia, BC Filmmaker uh, on Twitter, and Peter is also Peter D. Marshall on Facebook, so be sure to follow him there as well, or friend him there. Um, I have a Rex Sykes Movie Beat friends page on Facebook. Go like it and, and join me there as well. You can follow me on Twitter, Rex Sykes Movie BT. It's abbreviated, Rex Sykes Movie. That last word is BT, abbreviated. And if you're in the Milwaukee listening area this evening, I'm going to go over to the university for the production club meeting. They're going to be screening the Spade County Massacre. I'll be doing a Q&A afterwards with the film students over there. 
um, during the, that uh, live preview. Again, this is a one-time only event. Uh, it's not going to happen again. The movie will be released. This is a sneak preview of the movie. It's completed. There's some, still some a little bit of tweaking and editing done and some sound work that needs to be finished, but this is the feature film that will be coming out soon, and you have a chance to see it tonight, one time only, before the end of this year. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving comments. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for sharing these interviews. When you tweet before, you put it on a Facebook wall before, you help bring listeners into the chat room or bring listeners into the to the archive shows and the podcast that just is so cool of you. I, I love it. I appreciate it. It helps me. It benefits my guests. And it benefits all of the listeners who are learning, you know, incredible stuff from from the professionals who are making it happen every day in the trenches. So uh, thanks for doing it. Please keep continuing. And everybody, you know, uh, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>